We at Global Nomad Hacks are peace heroes. By playing Peace and Harmony program during this episode, we help create one million pockets of peace by dissolving stress and tension. To be your own peace hero and get your own copy, go to peaceandharmonydownload.com. Welcome back to Global Nomad Hacks. Today, I'm excited to introduce to you a new friend, Miles Clark who is the host of a great show called Snow Brains. And I'm so excited to dig into a little bit more about what does it mean to be a global nomad and a podcaster as a pro skier. So uh, welcome, Miles. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So as many of you may know, being a pro athlete does require a lot of travel, but some, some people take it a little more upon themselves, particularly when you're in an industry that uh, you know is seasonal dependent, as we might say. So you may need to hit the mountains where the snow is falling rather than uh, waiting for the next season to come around. So can you tell us a little bit about that flow and how you make that work? Because as we were talking about a little bit in the green room, you were saying, North America, South America, but there's obviously a lot more to it and a lot more to that decision process. There is a little bit, you know, I, I think like many ski bums, I started off just being a complete dirtbag. So I was just, you know, living in San Francisco half the year doing carpentry and bartending. Then I would take, I would save up $5,000 and I'd move to Lake Tahoe and I would live with my buddies and ski bum hard and share rooms and never go out, just, you know, basically eat food and ski for, for six months a year. And that eventually evolved into thinking, hey, you know, how could I do this more? I, I don't want to go back to the real world at all. So that evolved into really pushing my skiing and getting sponsors on board and starting to get paid to ski. And then that evolved into becoming a mountain guide. I started, I, I tried out at Mount Rainier, which was brutal and uh, made the cut. So that was exciting. And so then at least, you know, if I wasn't skiing, I was still on the mountain. I was still on snow. I was still progressing. It felt like, you know, improving my skills to be in the mountains. And then about 12 years ago, I went to South America. I finally just pulled the plug and went for it. And now I've done, I've done the last 12 seasons year round where I, I ski in North America for six months a year. Then I moved to South America for six months of the year. And I love to surf as well. So I, I surf three months. I surf June and July and October. And then I, I ski August and September. And then I also have a mountain guide trip that I do, take people skiing in Antarctica in November. So it's this long, protracted, exciting, amazing trip, and I've gotten to do that a bunch, and uh, I'm very honored. And it's if anybody else is ever so inspired, you just going for it. It's so hard to make that first trip, but then now, gosh, it's just so easy. Oh, for sure. But I'm sure that you, over the years, have picked up a lot of tips and tricks and ways that you can make that transition much smoother. And I, you know, I think. You know, you may think that, oh, oh, it's piece of cake, you know, I just do it all the time. But it's something that sometimes you you don't necessarily realize some of those techniques that you've sort of packed into the way that you move between these different places. But part of it is finding the passion that makes that thread work throughout. You're always on the water, whether it's frozen or flowing. Absolutely. I think that's really, that's really awesome. Is that something, I know you did your work, your studies at Berkeley and was it molecular science? Is that what it was? I'm, I'm, yeah, I apologize. If no, it's a molecular cell biology. And how does that link in or is that something that you just, it was more uh, a, a process of researching for yourself? You know, it, it links in well in a very bizarre, maybe roundabout way, but so my mom is a nurse and my dad is a doctor. I have two dads. So I have one dad who got me into skiing and is very, quite athletic. 
And I have another dad who is a medical doctor. And so they obviously all inspired me in different ways. And I wanted to be a medical doctor. So when I went to Berkeley, I studied molecular cell biology, which was essentially pre-med in that, in that arena. And I also joined, I started skiing at 18 and I loved it. And so I joined the Cal ski team. So it was this rowdy group of super fun, exciting people who were dangerously smart and skied very well. So I learned a lot about skiing. I learned a lot about how to just do the bare minimum of studying and homework to get by and get good grades still to move on to the next stage. And then when I graduated, I took the medical college admissions test and I got a good score. So I was all set to go to medical school. I thought, this is awesome. So what makes sense, and I was working at the uh, occupational health branch of the Department of Health Services for a state of California, really terrible, boring job. I, I was a research associate for, so I was the bottom of the barrel, but I learned, learned a lot there too. But after I graduated, I worked for six months full-time there while studying for the medical college admissions test. And after I got my score, I was you know just going to basically continue that job. And I realized I can't, I can't do this. I just snapped on December 1st, quit. And I thought I'm going to move to Lake Tahoe and do one season in Tahoe between schools, between regular school and, and medical school. And that one season has now became 19. I'm just starting my 20th season. Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, but I would imagine that a lot of what you did in your research, or at least in your studies, you can apply as a guide, because although guides are not necessarily doctors, they probably have to really understand how the body responds. And, you know, some general, obviously, emergency medical pieces for particularly out in the wilderness, but also just how the body responds to cold, how the body learns and moves in the backcountry and, and all of those pieces. So I would imagine you actually apply it in a different way than many people would think about. Yeah. And to answer your question previously a little bit better, the people that I met on the Cal Ski team have been instrumental in my skiing career. I lived with those people for many years afterwards. They still have been super helpful for me. There's been a lot of connections there. And you're correct with the background in, in medicine and molecular biology did help me a lot because I am a, now as a guide, I'm a wilderness first responder. So you take a 10-day class and you learn a lot about medicine and a lot of different things to make sure that you can respond to a medical situation in the mountains. You know, they say 30 minutes or more away from definitive care. So with my background, I think that my background plus that wilderness first responder is a little bit stronger even maybe than just, you know, having one or the other. So that has been something that's definitely been helpful for me. I have, for better or worse, come across a lot of accidents in the mountains. And I've felt quite confident in, in sort of multiple arenas, making that first responder move and then maybe, you know, helping just think out and plan on, hey, what, what are the next steps going to be? So yeah, there has been some, you know, going to Berkeley, studying those, that molecular cell biology has really led to some really great human connections that have been instrumental for me moving forward with my life as a pro skier and a guide. And now as, as the owner of Snowbrains, and now that we have a podcast, the podcast as well. And then also there's that overlap with the medical knowledge I need to have to be a guide and respond to emergencies. That's awesome. Thank you for that great segue into Snowbrains. So Snowbrains is something that obviously was birthed prior to the podcast, but the podcast is sort of how I found you. Tell us a little bit more about what Snowbrains is and how that came about too. The really long story is connecting to the story I already told about growing up and going to college and becoming a ski bum and becoming an athlete and a, and a guide. And in 2010, you know, I, I was feeling a little bit empty uh, intellectually. After I guess it would have been about nine years of you know mostly using my body to make money, 
And I was offered the job of being editor-in-chief for a website called Unofficial Networks. And so Unofficial Networks was relatively new. And I came in as editor-in-chief and I took them from 30,000 page views per month to 1.8 million page views per month in my first 16 months there. Nice. So it was really exciting. We had success. I learned a lot. I was steering the ship. I was making it all happen. But after two years in 2012, you know, I didn't like the direction they were going and they were having some, some challenges. So I left after two years. And in 2013, I started Snowbrains. And to really differentiate ourselves from everybody, I right away said, this is a, our motto is positive, original, intelligent. And so I really wanted to fill a niche that I thought had not been filled in the snow sports industry, which is basically bringing more intellectual look into the snow sports industry and really trying to give people what they actually want. And the majority of people in the snow sports industry are well-to-do people who live in big cities and they get to ski, you know, hopefully 15 days a year and they really identify with a lifestyle. So I understood that I am living this lifestyle. So I think people will enjoy seeing what we do on a day-to-day basis. And then on top of that, if we can bring in a, you know, a more, maybe not a fully intellectual, but a more intellectual perspective on what we're doing out here, I think people would really appreciate that. So that was the, the genesis of where I came up with the Snowbrains idea. And that was 2013. And so fast forward, you know, now it's 2020. And this is you know, more or less our seventh or eighth season. And we have grown it quite a lot. We just broke uh, 6.6 million unique users last year. So that was really exciting for us. So that is, in a nutshell, Snowbrains. Well, I love it. And I think that you're absolutely right in terms of the, you know, the type of people that really are passionate about skiing and have really chosen to, we were joking a little bit earlier about, you know, polo and and, uh, the Argentinians, but it's sort of, you choose one or the other. I mean, if you're going to do skiing, it's kind of a lifestyle thing. It's something that, that really comes into your lifestyle. And unfortunately, it's not very accessible for a lot of people, because it is quite expensive and it's only getting worse, unfortunately, rather than than better. And I mean, I remember years ago when I was teaching at Copper Mountain, and I mean, we're talking late 80s, and we had, you know, kids that were bussed in from Denver so that we could teach some of the public school kids how to ski because they weren't ever getting exposed to the mountains, even though they had some of the best skiing in the country you know, right at their doorstep, but they weren't getting out onto the slopes. And so it was something sponsored by the state. But, you know, it's something you have to really build into a passion at a young age and and sort of do it on a family level. But I love what you're doing there with trying to take it to that, you know, there's so much more to it than the physical activity. And yes, you can be driven by your heart to get you out on the slope, but to understand what, you know, what's happening in the space of skiing is a much bigger picture when you look at the system. So I had listened to a couple of your recent episodes, and of course, we're in this time Thank of you. COVID. Of course, I you know, wanted to, one, do my research, but I'm passionate about the topic myself. But I thought it was really fascinating how you covered, and in some of your interviews, you were really trying to dig deep into understanding the impact of COVID on the ski industry. It's very interesting. You know, I mean, I just came back from Jackson Hole, and a lot of it was all about being patient and being kind, as you were talking about in your show. Yes. And it's just making sure that people realize, like, as in anywhere else, we've got to wait in lines. And sometimes those lines are a little bit longer. And some people choose not to do the lines. And so in some cases, it's not longer because there's just people that don't want to put up with it. But, you know, things need to be sterilized. And, you know, you can't necessarily all sit crowded together and on top of each other in the lodges and whatnot. But COVID itself is an interesting topic around the ski industry. It's not necessarily something you would think about being covered by 
a snow brains. So I mean, <laughs> what are some of the, of the other things that you are really passionate about making sure you guys get covered on snow brains in the upcoming year as we, this sort of year of not knowing what the future holds? Well, I think the topics that you brought up are really important. And so if you want me to get into more detail there, I definitely can. So you might have listened to, I interviewed my father, who is not exactly an infectious disease medical doctor, but he is an occupational and environmental toxicology physician. And so he works for Intel and he works for Pixar, who makes the great cartoon movies we all love. And these have huge workforces. And so it's his job to keep everybody healthy. And he does a lot of preventative medicine. So I interviewed him. So just finding out like, what kind of masks do we need to wear? You know, so a single, a single ply buff that we all like, those neck gaiters, that's the very worst one of them all. So two of those is better than one. And then just getting a regular two-ply cloth mask is great. I have a two-ply cloth mask and then I have a 2.5 micron filter in there. And that feels awesome. And I can ski all day. I never have to take it down. I love that. So really wanted to cover masks with our audience this year, what kind of masks to wear. You know, I think most people understand the idea of social distancing. And on the mountain, that's kind of easy. These skis don't allow us to get that close to each other. So that's great. Being outside also is, you know, I wanted to talk to my father about, hey, you know, what's the transfer like outside? And, you know, a lot of the data is coming out saying it is pretty difficult to transfer it outside. If we all wear masks and we're outside, that's looking pretty good. So those are all things I really wanted to push on our audience with coronavirus and what's coming up this season. But I think what you mentioned about the be kind and be patient is almost more important because the mask and all that stuff, it's pretty standard. We can all do it. It doesn't take a lot. It does take a lot to be patient. It does take a lot to be kind. At the ski resort, definitely we need to be kind. And then I really think it's going to be a busy backcountry season. And that's where you see a little bit more attitude at times. I don't usually get people saying negative things to me and my friends and the people I'm with, but online, you know, because I, I, I will post things. I don't expose secrets or anything, but I'll just put something up. And I'll, I might just say, this is Wyoming and nothing else. And man, you, people can be quite agitated. So in online, who cares? But in person, it's just so important to be, be helpful. Let's be kind this year. People are going through things they've never gone through before. I was watching something about mental health in the US and there's a telephone number you can call nationally in the US and they're getting 800% more calls than normal. People saying, hey, I need help. I'm feeling depressed because of so many obvious reasons. People are going through economic, you know, financial and health and, and family challenges right now. So that's the big message that I, I would love to push to your audience today too. Is, is, and it's not just skiing and riding, right? It's everywhere. But let's just all be kind and let's, let's be a little more kind than normal and be, be a lot more patient than normal. And that is just going to go such a long way. And it's going to make you feel great at the end of the day as well. Well, for sure. And I mean, when circling back to the whole conversation of science and, and there with sort of the behavioral science, it, kindness is infectious and, and it let's spread yes. that rather than the disease, you know, I mean, really yes. focusing on everything from, you know, just giving someone a smile. Okay. Maybe. And you think they can't see the smile underneath your bib, your, your mask, but I swear, I mean, your eyes will smile. You people will be able to tell if you're smiling at them or if you're glaring at them, there's a big yes. difference. <laughs> and, and it's worth it to take that time and also thinking about the fact that the mask is not just for you, it's for others. And so even though you don't, you don't think you have it, or if you don't, whatever. I mean, I just, I find that so many people are like, oh, well, I'm fine. You know, you go into a restaurant and they're like barely wearing their mask. And it's like, well, you know what, wear it while you're not chewing because there are other people in the restaurant. And 
you know, Absolutely. whether it's just a second, a question of courtesy and, and whatnot. So it's a, it's an interesting time to not judge and to just be, be kind. So I, I think that's an excellent point to emphasize. I want to know a little bit more about how Snowbrains, the podcast came about and how's that been going for you? What's, you know, what's happening there? It's really exciting. It's the most exciting thing that's happened in my life in quite a while, to be honest. I'm always clicking refresh on my analytics and it's just been so neat to see that there's been a positive response and that people appear to be enjoying it and we're getting a, a good response. Came about a couple of years ago, I had an intern named Greg, who's a fantastic guy who now comes on hut trips with me in British Columbia and we ski together. And he was really pushing me to start a podcast and he was giving me all the data. Hey, that's really sticky. People really listen to these. It's great for, you can make money. Advertisers love this. And he just came up with a myriad of reasons and it, it appeared very clear that I needed to do it. I didn't have the bandwidth at the time. So between skiing a lot and, you know, I only guide a little, but uh, when I guide, I take weeks off at a time, which is, is trying for anybody who works full time. And I just didn't have the bandwidth. And so it's been a couple of years and I've been chipping away at it, just not really. But then when coronavirus hit and the quarantine happened, I really wanted to have something to show for my downtime that, that, that a lot of us had. I had a lot of downtime with coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So I'm 10 weeks quarantined in Park City, Utah. And I'm like, well, how can I make this something productive? And this is what struck me. It's like, hey, this is the big project I've been wanting to do. Let's move forward with this. How hard is it to do? And luckily, my close friend Connery, the woman that he's dating, teaches a class at Stanford on podcasting. Oh, so wow. I really, yeah. So I was like, oh, and I, I don't, I'm a Berkeley guy, right? I don't want to give any credit to Stanford here, but Stanford really helped me there. It was fantastic. So, you know, this woman, Kelsey, she was super helpful and gave me her syllabus and gave me a bunch of information. And I asked her a million, she should not have given me her telephone number. I texted <laughs> her so many questions. And by the time, you know, she even got back to me, I'd already texted back, you know, I'd already answered my questions myself because I dug them up somewhere. And the information she gave me, the resources she gave me led to really strong other resources. And I just ended up with a wealth of knowledge that gave me a really clear roadmap on how to do this because I found it daunting. How do you do the sound effects at the beginning and the intro? What do you say in your intro? you know, what, what kind of tone? And then what do you do in the outro and the exit, you know, and where do you, where do you give credit to things? And I had no idea. I had listened to podcasts, but I hadn't, you know, to, to analyze it to that level I had not done. So she gave me all these great resources. I started digging into it. I have quite a good address book because I've been in the ski industry for 20 years now. So I know well-known skiers and snowboarders, and I, you know, know some interesting people, you know, having my father on the show as a medical doctor, having two of the most prominent avalanche center directors come onto my show from Utah and Colorado and more. So I really tapped into my address book, used these resources that I found and just, I literally built it all myself and put a lot of time. It was definitely a couple of weeks of just research before I could even get started. Well, and I think that that key piece of having to get a kickstart is really having that address book of people that you know we're going to be great guests that are really going to provide your listeners the type of quality content that they're looking for and really, you know, come with not just fun stories, but real expertise, particularly when you're, when you're looking at coming at it from the brainy side of skiing. I mean, it's, you can have fun conversations with any ski bum about the great trips that they've done and the crazy avalanches they've been caught in and whatever. But when you want to get to the intellectual side, you have to really, and you've done a great job with it, you have to really 
Thanks, you know, Mom. dig a little bit deeper to find those people that are going to provide that value for you and provide that value, not just for you, but for your listeners. And obviously, that's what you, that you seem to do. And I think that's only going to build as your reputation grows. There's going to be people reaching out to you saying, I want to be on your show and I've got this to add and, and whatnot. And you maybe already are having that. What has been the response that you've received in terms of the ski areas themselves? Because they're really, they're at a risk point now, partially from COVID, partially from climate change. There's just a lot of shifts going on that, you know, have made running their businesses quite difficult. Have you found that they've been receptive to sharing their story on, on your show? I have. So far, we've interviewed the general manager of Alta Ski Area in Utah. And we also interviewed the president and COO of Squaw Valley Alpine Meadows in California. And also Whistler Blackcomb. We interviewed the, the, the I think is, is the director of communications for Whistler Blackcomb and, and Vail Resorts on the West Coast. So that was really fun to have those people on because you could really ask the horse's mouth, you know, what are you doing for coronavirus? Mm-hmm. And so I really dug into that. Uh, Squaw Valley was an interesting one as well to talk to because they're changing their name. So yes, I listened to squaw, that episode. That yeah, was really did, interesting. Yeah. The word squaw is a, is a racial and sexist slur. So I guess I feel bad saying it here even now. And so talking to them about that, you know, getting, that's what's so fun about these podcasts, getting that from the source information is fun, you know, and I do give a script beforehand, but so much comes up and it's, it's great to see these people work and think and move on the fly because they kind of have to be perfect, you know, in their situation, you know, when you're the CEO or the GM of one of these big ski resorts, you've got to nail it. So it's been, it's been really interesting getting that information. I haven't talk to the, any of them about climate change, because it seems to take quite a long time just to get extract all the good information that we need for our, our listeners around coronavirus, because people are so curious how operations are going to work. You know, not everybody has reservations. Some people do. What is your reservations going to look like? What are your requirements with masks? What's indoor dining going to look like? What's spacing on chairlifts and lifts and all that look like? And so it's just, and you know, and are you testing your employees and what's that regiment look like? And what are you doing to protect your employees? And if someone does get sick at your ski resort, who should they call? Should they tell somebody? So that's been really exciting. But I, I think that you're giving me a great idea. It will be, I could do a whole another round with these people and more on, on climate change. Because that, that is something that I've pushed in with, with some of the latest guests I've had. Because I, I interviewed a famous skier named Chris Davenport. Mm-hmm. And he is quite involved with climate change. And then I'm, I'm interviewing this week, Jeremy Jones, who started Protect Our Winters, which is a mm-hmm. organization to protect, basically climate, to defend climate change and, or to stop climate change. And then I also have interviewed Cody Townsend, who's quite involved with climate change as well. And all of those people are involved with Protect Our Winters. So thank you for that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back and, and re-dig on all these ski resort heads. Well, for sure. And I think there's, I mean, it's not just what's happening that that's beyond their control, but there's the whole issue of sustainability and the different things that their resorts are doing. And not just the resorts, but trying to understand as guides, what kinds of things you can teach people to do to, you know, leave no trace and to, you know, to be taking, because you are out in nature, you are being part of the problem when you are, you know, I, I think it was at Jackson Hall. We, I was just noticing there were signs saying that the entire resort is powered by wind. Like, how cool is that? So I think that there's, you know, there's the whole side of it of understanding 
you know, what efforts are they making? Are they minimizing the amount of plastics used by the resort, which has been a huge problem in the past? And some of that is state by state, but some of them are actually, you know, taking the initiative to be the leaders in it rather than waiting for the state to tell them that, you know, they they can't use certain plastics or they must do things a certain way. So I think there's a lot of really interesting conversations and directions that you can go. Have you interviewed anyone yet on sustainability or is that something that's been, that's maybe out there in the future for you? I think it's more in the future for me, but I, I think what you're alluding to with the ski resorts, because ski resorts understand that climate change is going to be devastating for them, most major ski resorts and small ones are doing things to help mitigate that. And some of them, it might be a little bit more greenwashing in a way. And so, it, but a lot of them are really are making solid changes. You know, I think the Squaw Valley Alpine Meadows is doing a lot in that, in that vein. I know that I'm pretty sure Vail Resorts as a whole has been very good. Aspen's really into it. So I think it would be a great thing to talk, a topic for these ski resorts because they do have action plans in place and they do have goals that are quite close now, if not have been achieved. Like you said at Jackson Hole, I saw that sign today. I was skiing Jackson today and I saw it 100% renewable energy. So yeah, I do think I need to dig more into that. Again, I didn't do that this round because we were focusing on coronavirus at the ski resorts, but I did dig in pretty well with Chris Davenport. And it was really cool to hear what I really like to ask these athletes who are quote unquote older, you know, they're only 40, but uh, these athletes who've been around for a while, especially the ones who spend time in Europe and you hear, you know, I love to ask them, what have you seen in your life that you could attribute to climate change? And, uh, you know, especially, you know, Chris Davenport's talking about if you've been to Chamonix, there's the the Mer de Glace is this huge glacier. Oh, and I so think there's sad. 400, yeah, there's 400 so stairs now. Gone. I think so. Yeah. I think one of the positions at the end of the ski, you can get in a train and now you got to take 400 stairs to get up to where the train station is before it was at glacier level. Yeah. Now we, uh, we spent a lot of, a lot of years in Chamonix. That was sort of our home resort when we lived in Sweden and we would sort of stay in Argentière and and uh, really tried to make the most of it. But boy, do you every year you see a different in the difference in the glacier, and it's and, and you talk to the guides and they're just like it's disappearing, it's just going mm-hmm. away, and it's so sad, uh, you know. And part of that is just the cycle of the planet, of course. But I think it's it's certainly been accelerated by by climate change, and and it's a it's a tricky one. So back a little bit to the podcast because I want to make sure we get all the good things from your podcast and also make sure that people can find your podcast that might find it sort of just the thing for them. When you're talking to your listeners, who is your avatar and what, you know, who do you really find that you want the show to resonate the most for? Well, right off the bat, you know, as you mentioned, we are trying to show a little bit brainier side, you know, which is sort of the name keys you into that snow brains. So yeah, we're trying to find a more intellectual angle. So I really started off with that, you know, I started off with, you know, two medical doctors and a PhD were my first th- three shows, you know, my infectious disease, uh, the guy that the surgeon that did my ACL, who's done over a thousand ACLs, and then the PhD uh, gentleman who works at the Colorado Avalanche Center. The target audience is really similar to what we've done with my media company and the website at Snowbrains is we're targeting people who live in cities, you know, in the, in the West, in Western and Eastern US that live in major cities and really identify with a lifestyle of skiing and snowboarding and snow sports. And they, they do get out there, you know, they hopefully are able to get out, you know, 15 days, 20 days a year, which would be awesome. Some people are less, some people are more, but that's really the target. The target is this fun human that 
works in an office in you know San Francisco, Denver, New York, Seattle, and LA, and they they really identify with this lifestyle. And they're intelligent people, right? They they have good jobs. They went to good schools. They they like this kind of you know in depth, more intellectual perspective in the snow sports industry because there's a lot of it out there. And so I'm really trying to bring that out. I think that there's just I'm trying to give a voice to the abundant, crackling intelligence that is in the snow sports industry that I think gets passed over a lot because I have a lot of friends who are very smart and they're professional skiers and snowboarders. But one of the jokes, uh, the the jaded local from Powder Magazine, Hans Ludwig, has a great line. He says, you know, pro skiers aren't that interesting because all they do is travel, ski, and recover from knee injuries, you know, which is (laughs) I always thought was really funny. So there's some amazing pro skiers out there that I'm probably, I might not, you know, interview, or there's just amazing people out there I might not interview because I really want to get dig down and get more intellectual conversations going. So that's why I really starting with PhDs and doctors and the people who run these avalanche centers who are just really well educated. They're they're very articulate. They're they're great to talk with. Uh, and then there's you know people like Chris Davenport, Cody Townsend, Jeremy Jones that I'm interviewing that are these bigger name people that have really made these incredible transitions. All three of them from being pro free skiers and free snowboarders to being these ski and snowboard mountaineers, which has you know given them you know a whole new perspective and it's much more intellectual. And and they've also all of them started their own companies and, and just done really interesting projects that that take a lot more brain power and just more interesting to dig into and find out, you know, well, how are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And I want to continue in that vein. So I am kind of interviewing these more famous people right now, which as we know as podcasters is good because when they share our stuff, that really helps and and just having their name draws people in. And I'm really excited. I'm gonna flip it back on the audience because my next guest is a a climate scientist. That I cool. my Avalanche three course with in 2007, a long time ago now. Uh, Randall Osterhuber. So I'm going to go right back into the nerdiest of nerds, and so it's going to be it's going to be exciting. So I'm going to try to keep a good balance there. I love it, and it really I mean it comes down to sort of that chairlift chatter. It's those really fascinating people you meet on the chairlift, and you're like, oh my god! And then you you know you off you go off and you ski some incredible run with them, and they become sort of friends for life. And when you meet those people, don't you always ask, like, how are you doing this? Yeah. You know, like how, how you're this interesting, smart, crazy human doing all these neat things. Like, like you said, you got to live in, in Sweden and go to Chamonix, you know? And so that's what I really want to expose to our audience. You know, how are these people doing this? Yeah. Well, I think it's, I mean, I find even with Global Nomad Hacks with this show, it's, you know, for some people, it's they're aspiring to be a global nomad. And then there are others that it truly is their lifestyle. And we want to be able to really to speak to both, because I think some people do feel it's so hard to make that leap. And it's not that hard. There, you know, it's, it's sometimes a question of just saying, hey, well, hey, th- you know what, I'll expand my job search to include Europe or Argentina and see mm-hmm. what there is down there where, you know, who else is looking for someone like me? It's not necessarily always just about sort of where do I want to go to travel for fun? There are different things that you can do. So I think it's the same with the skier, whether they get on the mountain for seven days a year or whether they get on there on the mountain, you know, for the entire season. I remember years ago when I was teaching, it was so many days that I basically on my days off, I would ski for a half a day because it was the only day I could really free ski. And then the other half, I ended up doing laundry and was like, okay, I can't work in the <laughs> ski industry anymore. I never get to ski. I never get to do my skiing. So yeah. Now I just enjoy it for fun and have figured out a, a lifestyle and, and a work style that enables me to do that. In that vein, sort of what are your best tips for someone that wants to adapt the sort of lifestyle where they can, 
you know, follow their passion and go and ski on different continents if that's their passion or do snow sports on different continents. What are the most critical portable features of your lifestyle that enable you to do that? Well, that is the most challenging question of all, I think. And it has so many facets to it. And I'm, my mind is racing. I'm not almost not sure where we begin. There's so many. I'm actually going to, I'm writing a speech that I'm going to start giving up that's sort of about this in a way. And I'm, I'm just going to rattle off a few things. And maybe if something hits you, you know, signal me and we'll, we'll dive deeper. But, you know, I think life, the, this very starting point is passion, right? So finding your passion, and that's not easy. So one thing I've learned, I've been doing a lot of psychological you know, at that, that you're in listening to a lot of Oprah, super soul sessions, highly recommended those podcasts. And, uh, you know, if you don't know what your passion is, follow your curiosity mm-hmm. and follow your curiosity until it turns you away and then follow another curiosity. And maybe through those curiosities, you'll find your passion. And if not, you'll be what they call the hummingbird and just have really explored all these really cool curiosities. And that could lead you really interesting places too. But hopefully maybe, you know, you find your passion. And once you have that idea, or, or even if it's just a curiosity you want to follow, then you can really put the car in gear and start moving forward towards it. So for me, it was skiing, for example. So I knew, oh, okay, from a younger age, you know, from about the age of 19, wow, skiing is really important to me. I want to see where this goes. And you know, the next step really is, is well, one thing I like to say too is, is the power of saying no. I don't think people talk about that enough. I have said no to so many. I don't go to anybody's wedding. You know, I'm so sorry. I love you guys, but I'm, I'm just, I'm in Argentina right now and your wedding's in Cabo. I'm not, I know I'm skiing. You know, so I think that you, you hear people like Pete Sampras, the tennis player, Michael Jordan, the basketball player, they didn't go to their grandma's birthday party. They were playing ball. They, they were you know, diving into their passion because they saw that there was a future in that. So that might be more abstract than you wanted me to go. But that is, I think, that really the starting point, you know, finding your passion, you know, understanding the power of saying no, because you are not going to compromise. I've been very uncompromising in my life. You know, maybe too much Ayn Rand. Uh, if you guys are familiar I with that love author, Ayn who, Rand. Yes. right? She she writes about yeah. You, she look. She's lit. She lit up. She's laughing. Uh, Ayn Rand really talks about the powers and and the virtue of selfishness. And and I I really subscribe to that because I think when you can make yourself happy, you're in a very strong position and you have a very strong platform upon which to make other people happy. So I think that's you know all these things put together. You know, kind of being uncompromising, being a little bit selfish in that way to find what you love and going after your passion or curiosity. And then when you get there and you know what you want to do, that's when you can really let go. So, I mean, my number one thing is don't pay rent. You know, that's when people <laughs> want to do this big travel and they want to, they're like, well, I'd go, but you know, it's expensive to travel. And then I'm paying, you know, I'm paying $3,200 a month for my studio in San Francisco. It's like, well, you know, if you got rid of that or you could rent that out. And nowadays it's so easy to rent things out. Oh, yeah. Of, yeah. Get rid of those anchors that, that have you back home. If this is the direction that maybe you were leading me is you know, how to get people to be a travel nomad, to get on the road. That is step number one. If you have a car, get rid of your car. You know, make that move because these things are so easy to reacquire when you get home. I remember the first time I went to South America for nine months. When I came back, people didn't remember that I noticed that I was gone. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, it's like, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know, they didn't even notice. So I just, yeah, really, that, that's my number one piece of advice is kind of following your passion, be uncompromising, and just let go of those anchors that keep you home. Because I used to travel six months a year in South America, and I could do it on like $2,000 mm-hmm. you know, for six months. It's just so cheap. It's basically flights there and back. And then the day-to-day living, I would live in Ecuador and surf every day for 10 bucks a day. And that's rent, food, and you know, whatever else I needed you know, per day. And it was just kind of all you need. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's just, it's so easy, you know, depending on where you're going, obviously, but letting go of what anchors you here and just going for it is, is really crucial. Yeah. Oh, I love it. 
Well, I'm so excited to to have you on the show and to have you share your story. It's just, it's been great hearing a little bit more about where Snowbrains came from and a little bit more about you. It's been fun to connect and share you with my listeners, with my global nomads. Who knows? Next, next thing I know, they're all going to be contacting me saying, thanks a lot. Now I've become a ski bum and my family <laughs> is mad at me because I won't show up at the wedding. But but hey, you know, I'll blame it on you, Miles. <laughs> I'll take I'll take that. Because I, I think that snow brains and like with, with your show as well, is we also just a lot of people aren't gonna do these things in, but it's just cool to learn about them yeah. and, and to have that little bit of inspiration. For sure, for sure. Well, it's been such a pleasure having you on and thank you so much for the work that you're doing. I look forward to digging into a few more of your episodes and we'll make sure we put a link for Snowbrain so people can find you and learn more about what you guys are doing there, both on your show and also in your work. Do you have anything else you want to add before we log off? No, I think I already talked too much. So I just wanted to say thank thank you so much for having me here. I really feel animated and excited about all these topics. Awesome. Well, it's been such a treat. Just want to let you all know, keep an eye out for the next edition of Podcast Magazine because we'll be featuring Miles Clark there and Snowbrains, and you'll be hearing a little bit more about his story. And there'll also be links there, obviously. So if you are driving your car right now, please don't try to write down any of the information that we just told you. (laughs) Just let it go right over your head. It's easy to find later. Anyway, it's been a pleasure having you on. And thank you folks for joining us and for sticking all the way through. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of the great upcoming episodes. And if you like the show, always appreciate a rating and review and let us know if you give us one, because we always like to give a little love back. So thanks again for joining us and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye for now.